Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, joined by Pastor Ross Anderson. And Ross, today, it's our special Easter episode, and uh, this is going to be a great one. We're going to dig today into Luke chapter 24. So if you're listening from home, uh, I really encourage you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24 and follow along with us, because we've been going through the, these last couple episodes, we've been going through the week that changed the world. And of course, Ross, we're talking about Holy Week. So before we get into some of the details and nuggets from Easter Sunday itself, why don't we just make sure everybody understands what, what we mean by Holy Week or Passion Week. Yeah, that's great, Brian. The, the idea is that this is the final week of Jesus' life, and so it begins on pa- the previous uh, week on Palm Sunday when Jesus makes his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and he's hailed as the Messiah, uh, the coming King, and the people have these expectations of him. Then all week long, he's in the temple courts in the most public places in Jerusalem, and he's teaching, teaching about his identity, his mission, and and so forth, calling people. Well, what happens then on um, on Thursday night and to Friday, Thursday night he has his last supper with his disciples, and he's arrested in the middle of the night, hauled in Friday. Friday's the trial, the beating, the scourging, and then ultimately the crucifixion. Jesus dies on the cross. He's taken down and buried late Friday night. They didn't have time to complete the preparations, so they came back on Sunday to finish the work. And now that places us in Luke chapter 24. It's that Sunday, uh, first in the morning and now in the evening. Yeah, and so it says this in verse 1. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. These are the some of the female disciples of Jesus. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. They went in. They didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men, angels, suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. And then the men men asked, why are you looking among the dead? I love this line, Ross. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? What a great line. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. It says, remember what he told you back in Galilee that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. I think it's interesting that they call to mind what he had already told them, because as we're going to see in today's episode, I think the disciples missed that, and not just the women. I think overall, the disciples, It's. I think it's interesting for us today as modern-day Christians, we know the story so well. I think today we need to, we need to go back to the story and really try to understand it from the perspective of the disciples who didn't realize, I'm giving it away right now, they didn't realize that Jesus had to suffer and die. Even though he had told them, even though Scripture said that, the Old Testament said that, it it appears that that's the part that they might have missed, that many of the disciples missed. Yeah, and it's interesting that he told them that at least three times, at least three times that are recorded in the Gospels, who knows how many more, but for some reason it didn't sink in at all, and that, that's just a great window on human nature and how much we filter stuff based on our own expectations. We hear it, but we didn't get it. Um, we're all like that, so I'm not surprised that they missed something big. Yeah, and then we, we get to this, so the women run back, they tell the other disciples, Peter and another disciple, they run, they see that he's gone, but up to this point in Luke 24, Jesus hasn't appeared yet. It's the angels, they've said he's risen, but they don't they haven't seen Jesus yet. Nobody has seen Jesus yet. And Luke is the only gospel that tells us this 
this this next story that we're going to be talking about in this episode. It's the walk to Emmaus. And it says in verse 13 that that same day, two of Jesus' followers, and these are not his, uh, his 11 disciples, they're two other guys, two of his followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. So what would that mean, Ross? What were they talking about up to this point? Yeah, everything that had happened, you know, that means the crucifixion, the arrest, the crucifixion, the trial. And we'll see a little bit later on when they explain to Jesus, Jesus says, hey, what are you talking about? And, it, you know, it explains that they had heard about the empty tomb, Yeah, and they were trying to make sense out of everything that happened from Friday till today. Yeah, so verse 15 says, as they talked and discussed these things... Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. Okay, so this is the first appearance of the resurrected Jesus in the Luke story. But God kept them from recognizing him. So, so this guy's just walking with them, but they don't realize it's Jesus. And Jesus asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And the Bible says they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here in the last few days. And Jesus said, what things? And so this is now when they reveal what they're talking about. And here's what they said. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. And then they explain what happened when the women went to the tomb. So they knew about that as well. Now let's pause here for a second, Ross, because I think what's happening, what's happening here is Luke is using this story really sort of to set up the 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 got the details of the gospel. The detail, you know, what it's so important as Christians today. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. And so Luke is using this story to confirm what the early disciples believed about Jesus, even though we're going to see that they, at this point, had missed a really important detail as far as, as, as far as his identity and his mission. But in this little passage right here, we see five things that they're affirming about Jesus. Number one, he was a man. His from, humanity, yeah. From Nazareth. He's a historical figure who actually lived in a real place. Yeah. And, and also, I think the doctrine that he was fully God and fully man, mm-hmm. right, which we understand yep. about Jesus. Number two, he was a prophet, right? They understood him as a prophet. Number three, he was a miracle worker. Right. Number four, he was a mighty teacher. Mm-hmm. So we've got four things. And then yep. the last one is interesting how they say it. They said, we had hoped... He was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is what was the Messiah, this con- this Jewish concept of Messiah, what were they expecting from a Messiah? And up to this point, what did they get from Jesus, right? Because this yeah. is why they were sad. Right. And you could see it in verse 21, how their hope is framed. We hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. That he was, they, they saw him in terms of the coming Messiah, promised throughout the Old Testament, and his goal, his role, was to rescue Israel. And that, that's true, he did. But in what way? What's the meaning of that? And Jesus is going to reveal some really interesting things to them along the way here. 
I so, think it's I think it's very ironic, by the way, that Jesus said they'd say you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that happened, and Jesus was really the only person in Jerusalem who had actually experienced all the things that had happened. <laughs> yeah, right. The only firsthand knowledge, really. It's kind of clever. Yeah, and and so here here's the part in Scripture, Luke twenty four verse twenty five. We finally see Jesus's response to this, and. I, this is what we're going to pick apart a little bit because I think there's a there there are a lot of great insights from this story on the walk to Emmaus and then the subsequent story that we have in Luke 24. Jesus's response to this after they, you know, they rightly articulated so many things about Jesus, but his response was this, verse 25, he said, "You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures, emphasis mine there. Mm-hmm. You find it hard to believe all that they wrote. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay, let's pause here and help people understand the significance of what Jesus is saying. What I see here, Ross, is is he's saying to them, you've cherry-picked Scripture. Right. I mean, I, I want to be charitable to them, right. but we do this too. Christians right. do this too. We look at Scripture and we, we pull out the Jesus that we want from Scripture. We highlight the verses that we like, the ideas that we like, and we ignore the ideas that we don't like. And apparently, the disciples, these two, and I think the others as well, didn't believe all that the Scripture said about Jesus. They believed a lot of it. What did they miss? Well, they missed, they missed his suffering. Jesus points out in verse 26, look, here's what was clearly predicted. The Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering glory. They didn't see that. And I'm with you, Brian. I, I think we do a lot of cherry-picking, but I think there's also something else that's at work that's maybe a little bit deeper, a little bit uh, more challenging to us, mm. and that is we all have a grid. We all have a perspective, a set of lenses that we're reading Scripture through, and it might not be intentional that we're saying, oh, I don't really like that, I'm going to set that aside. Mm-hmm. It may be just be that our, our perspective based on our culture, based on our life experiences and so forth, is that we tend to focus on certain things and ignore other things. Just not that we're consciously ignoring them, but, but that we haven't really paid attention to the significance of certain things because they just don't fit in our in our predetermined grid that we come to Scripture. That's why it's really, we're going to see later how Jesus had to open their eyes. Mm-hmm. It's, that's why it's really important for us to have, have our eyes open, to be illuminated by the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. when we read Scripture. But I think it's also important to read um, other people interpreting and understanding Scripture and reading commentaries and so forth. So I'm going to come to Scripture and let the Holy Spirit speak, and then I might read some other people's insights to say, oh, I miss that. And even people from outside my culture to say, oh, I'm not going to read this the same way that maybe um, a person, a Christian in Africa or Asia would read this, mm-hmm. because I have you know, certain blinders on. Yeah, that's a good point. We just finished up uh, the Prodigal series, and we saw there were so many insights in that series, even for me, that came, and I'd heard that story a hundred times. Mm-hmm. That came to me because I'd always read that story through a Western grid, and when I understood that story through a more of a Middle Eastern grid, I, there was just there was so much richness in that that I just missed. 
Yeah, we talked about that in our small group last night. Mm-hmm. We were going over that, and, and, and someone commented how, oh, you know, the cultural understanding really made the, the older brother, uh, it made us see how really far he was from his father. And so that's a great insight that there's a cultural background, and, and that helps us to, uh, to understand what the Scripture is really saying. Yeah, in fact, let's just pause for a second and speak to our listeners in the Bible Belt. You know, if you're listening from the Bible Belt, it's such a diff. There probably is a different grid that you have as you approach Christianity and probably as you approach politics, because of because of what you've always known, because of what you were taught, because of the culture around you. That uh, certainly someone, you know, we're in Utah. We have a little bit of a different grid. Obviously, we want to look at everything through the eyes of God's word. Right. We want to trust in God's word first and foremost. But it's naive to say that we're going to be able to read God's word without reading into it our own preconceived notions. Right. It, that is interesting. I've thought about that a lot. I've been in Utah a long time, where we live as a religious minority. Mm-hmm. And how would it be different to read the scriptures and experiencing? Um, our faith in Christ if we were in a place where we were the religious majority. Yeah. Well, that's just a, that's a great point. Now, back to this story. So, Ross, let's be clear. What would have been the grid that the disciples had up to this point? Yeah, so they're thinking about the Messiah. Um, Jesus mentions suffering. He mentions glory. They're thinking about the Messiah in terms of the glory, mm. that he's going to come, you know, and be, so... Uh, the Messiah was a descendant of King David. King David represented the golden age of Israel. He and his son Solomon, where they were, they were conquering all their enemies. David was a warrior king, so he was his job, so to speak, that God gave him was to was to conquer and set up the the security of Israel as an independent nation. And so they're thinking in terms of what it was like back then. They're thinking in terms of very physical terms, very um, you know cult battle battle, prosperity, very much this age, this life, this world that we live in. And so um, you can see how many people in that time frame historically were trying to throw off the, the yoke of Roman rule and reestablish their independence, that they're looking for a Messiah who's going to do that. And we find, we find evidence of that in the Old Testament. You can read the Psalms, you can read many of the prophets, and there is there there always is that thread of those days will return, rescue, Messiah, kingship, all this language. We can certainly find that throughout the Old Testament, and they did. They right. found that they weren't making that up. They weren't making it up because that's there, but they were misinterpreting it because they were viewing it through a a certain grid that it turns out was wrong. So right. the passages were right, it was still scriptural, but their interpretation of it was wrong. And so in verse 27, when it says he took them through to the writings of Moses and all the prophets, so we're talking there about the first five books of the, of the Old Testament and then the prophetic books in the Old Testament. Right, which, which in, to remind the, the listener that in the Jewish classification, the historic books are called the early prophets mm. and the writing prophets Isaiah. The things that we think of as the prophets, those are called the latter prophets. Right. So this is really this is really um, includes all of the history, King David and all the rest as well. I see that's included in in Jesus' uh, exposition here. And so it says that he took them through all of that, which is interesting. It was a seven mile walk. So this was a couple prob- hours. Yeah, yeah, this might have been a couple hour conversation. Oh man, that would have been so cool to be there for that where he just brought them through it, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. A couple of things, and then a question for you. Number one, 
how cool is it that Jesus would take the time for two relatively obscure followers to share with them? I, I think it shows a personal side, Jesus' heart for people. It's a great example of that. But number two, what types of scriptures, just quickly, Ross, what types of scriptures would he probably have been bringing them through? Right. You can, you can look at specific passages in the Old Testament, Isaiah uh, chapter 50, where it talks about he, he's beaten for us. Isaiah chapter 53 is the most famous, where, where um, you know, he, he bore our stripes you know, so that we could be healed. Um, he is the lamb led to the slaughter. Zechariah mm-hmm. chapter 10 talks about they one day will look upon him whom they've pierced. So there's, other in, there's l- several indications of this, but by taking them through all of the scriptures, basically, I don't think Jesus is just popping out some proof text. I think he's showing them the whole tone and tenor, the whole big story. Um, if we think about it from the very beginning, even in Genesis uh, chapter 3, mm-hmm. there's the uh, there's the early statement where, where God says, you know, uh, Satan will bruise his heel, but he will crush Satan's head. Yeah. And so this whole, well, the bruised heel, that's pain, that's suffering, mm-hmm. right? So it's indicated early. So the whole meta story of Scripture from the beginning to the end leads to and points to and, and all of the typology and all of the, um, the movement of the, of the history itself, all of it leads to this um, central moment, this act of, of Jesus, this gospel that he's explaining to them. And it doesn't tell us right away their response. It doesn't say, after verse 25, it doesn't say, they were like, oh, wow, this is great, we missed it. Yeah. It just says that by this time they were nearing Emmaus and uh, the end of their journey. Now remember, they still didn't realize who they were talking right. to. So they probably were thinking, is this some kind of rabbi? Who, who is, is this guy? He yeah. understands a lot, you know. Yeah. I really wonder how he figured this out, you know. And it says that Jesus acted as if he were going on when they got to their homes, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. And so he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. And then he broke it and gave it to them. We'll come back to that in a second. And it says in verse 31, finally, suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized that this was Jesus. And then at that moment, he disappeared. Fascinating, isn't it? So, yeah. So, I mean, he had, interesting that he didn't force himself into their home. He waited for an invitation from them, but he took advantage of this um, to spend some time, again, with these obscure guys. It's not just the few apostles or the hot, le- the heavy leaders, the ones at the top, who have the privilege of connecting with Jesus, hearing from Jesus, of understanding the Scriptures, you know, but he includes them as well. And, um, you know, their eyes were opened. It says earlier, God had prevented them from seeing... And now God opens their eyes. God prevented them from... There's a reason why God did that, because he wanted to set this up. He wanted, to, he wanted them to hear it and understand it, and then boom, their, their eyes are open. So there's this sense that, that we all need that. We all need to be illuminated. We all need someone to turn the light on for us if we're really going to understand the work of Jesus and who he is, what he's done. Or to say it another way, if we're going to break out of our grid, like you were exactly, saying, yeah. that, <clears throat> that framework that, that might be 80% accurate, but we're maybe missing the point. And this is really how the Pharisees were. The Pharisees had Scripture, but they were, miss, they, they were reading it through the wrong grid, and they didn't really understand who Jesus was. So if we're going to break through, we all have that today, if we're going to break through the way we see the world, 
into the way that we should see the world, the way that God would have us see the world. It, it really is going to have to take a divine a divine action, right? Yeah, it's God a, opening our it's eyes. It's a work of God. I'm glad you mentioned the Pharisees, because that points out something that's, I think, pretty important here. The Pharisees never saw because they weren't willing to see, mm-hmm. partly, um, but these guys were willing. They, they were soaking it up. They were teachable. They wanted to hear what he was saying, and so... Um, you know, there, there's a divine act on that, but there's also a heart, a receptivity of our heart that makes it, um, that, that, that God uses to open our eyes to Him. Mm-hmm. All right, now there's more to the story, but before we get to what happens next, I just have to make a comment here. We made the list earlier, Ross, mm-hmm. that, that as these guys were explaining who Jesus was, they, they made this list of five things. He was a man, he was a prophet, he was a miracle worker, he was a teacher, and we had hoped he was the Messiah. And so what I think is interesting, as I studied this recently, I realized that Jesus essentially is, is affirming each one of those things mm-hmm. in these verses that we just read. He was a man because he sat down and ate with them. Right. Right? It, was, it wasn't just an appearance yeah. or just an apparition or something, yeah. An angel wouldn't sit down and meet with you. He right. wasn't, a, he wasn't a, just a spiritual being. Right. He's, a, he's a man. Number two, he's a prophet. Essentially, that's what he was doing when he was sort of calling them out and saying, yep. don't you guys realize what God's already revealed? That's a prophetic function. Yep, exactly. He was obviously a teacher because he brought them through the scriptures and helped them to understand the scriptures. He was a miracle worker, and here's where I see that in the story. When he sat down, isn't it interesting, Ross, that they invited him in for, for dinner or whatever, and he's the one who took the bread. Yeah, he's not the it. host, but he took the bread, yeah. And and blessed it. Mm-hmm. And that calls to mind, certainly for them, it wouldn't have called to mind the Last Supper because they weren't there. Right. But it definitely would have called to mind the the miracle of the feeding. Right, because right, Jesus blessed and he and he broke it, passed it around, and, and everyone was fed. And it's very likely or very possible, at least, that those guys were there if they're in the crowd that was following Jesus. And so, wow, they, they must have had like a deja vu moment or something in that right then. Yeah. So e- in each one of these points that they had mentioned, he affirms it in the story itself, which again, I think is just brilliant that that's what happens. He's a man, he's a prophet, he's a teacher, he's a miracle worker, and, and it's all about revealing that he is the Messiah. But the real Messiah, the Messiah that would have to suffer and die and then be raised from the dead, instead of the Messiah that that they wrongly, they were just a, a few degrees off, right? Right, that's right. And we're going to see um, later on that he makes that more explicit, what the role of the Messiah is. He makes that pretty explicit uh, later in the story. All right, so let's get to that. Verse 32, it says, They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on the way, their way back to Jerusalem. They found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, and they, and they said, Hey, look, this is, you know, this is really happening. So the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them. They were walking along the road. They, they explained this whole thing. And just as they were telling the story to the 11 disciples, Jesus himself was su- suddenly standing there among them. He says, peace with you, or peace be with you, that the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking that they were seeing a ghost. He said, why are you frightened? Why are, why are your hearts filled with doubt? It's interesting he said that. Mm-hmm. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? So, you, so now he's appearing to all of them, and once again, they're, they're still having a hard time overcoming their grid. Right, their grid would expect it. 
what he just did would be something that a spirit would do. Yeah. Like a ghostly, some kind of a whatever, demonic spirit or a departed spirit or whatever their, whatever their understanding of that worldview was, they thought that's what they were seeing, and Jesus has to correct that. And furthermore, they didn't expect that Jesus, A, would have to suffer, and B, would be resurrected, even though he had told them that. Right. That's what's amazing to me. That's why he says, why are your hearts filled with doubt? Again, not to be uncharitable to the disciples, but it's not just the Old Testament that said this, but toward the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus revealed this to the disciples. This is going to happen. Right. And they're still having a hard time believing what their eyes are seeing. Right. And they right? they just heard the story from the two guys. They'd heard the story now, by now, how, in verse 34, how he has appeared to Peter, and now they've heard how the second you know, witness, how he'd appeared to the, these two guys from Emmaus, and then he appears to them, and they're like, they don't connect the dots mm. yet. And so verse 39, he says, look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. Make sure that I'm not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. Still, verse 41, still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder, though. So we're seeing They're some, moving. <laughs> they're yeah. moving toward. And then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He ate it as they watched, which is interesting, Ross, right? So he's. Mm. this speaks a little bit to the resurrected body of Jesus. Yeah. It's in, I mean, there's a number of things here that speak to that. It's clearly him. He's got the, the, the wounds from the nails in yeah. his hands. Um, they recognized him in, at Emmaus. They, they, they recognized him here. Um, so it's clearly him, but he's also clearly a different body. Mm. I mean, he still eats. He can still eat. I don't know if he had to eat. Probably doesn't need to eat for mm-hmm. sustenance. Um, but he suddenly appears out of nowhere, like he walked through a closed door or something like that. So, so it's, a, it's a supernatural body. It's still the same body, but it's transformed into some kind of supernatural uh, qualities or characteristics. But it's not a ghost. And Jesus' resurrection is not a spiritual resurrection. It's a bodily resurrection. Mm. Which, again, side note, not really a side note, but a theological note on this, then that informs us then about our own resurrection. That's a great point, yeah. Right? That... That we will be, re- which Paul talks about later on in in some of his writings, that we will be resurrected, and that he was the first. Jesus was the first, and so we come back to scriptures like this to to try to piece together what will that resurrection yeah. be like? Will we recognize each other? Probably we will, because they recognized Jesus. They saw Jesus. Right. So there's some connection between his earthly body and his resurrected body, and yet there's a difference between his earthly body and his resurrected body. Right. Great point. So then in verse 44, he said, Jesus said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law and Moses, in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then verse 45, here it is again now. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And that's a verse that just, Ross, really jumps out at me. It, it's reminiscent of what he had just he had done for their for the eyes of the of the other two disciples. He opened their eyes. Mm-hmm. But now, for them and the other 11, he opens their minds. Explain right. that. Well, I'm not sure that... I think there's, there's a natural and a supernatural thing going on here. The supernatural thing is the capacity. We talk, Again, we mentioned the word illumination. That's the theological word for the work of the, the, work of the Spirit, or the work of God upon our, our intellect to allow us to comprehend things that are, that are 
infinite or beyond us or a spiritual realm or nature. But I think he opened their minds. There's a natural thing, too. He could very well—it doesn't say it specifically, but he could very well have taken them through the same conversation he took the guys on the road to Emmaus. Mm. And so he maybe opened their minds just by explanation, you know, so by illumination and by explanation. I think probably that's how I would surmise this happened. So now I'm going to push back because what I read, you might be right, but what I read here is that there's something he does in verse 45, and then he explained it, mm-hmm. and then yeah. he said, now you might be right, but I, I like, maybe I'm a little bit more of a spiritual, maybe my, it, that, that's showing my grit a little bit, right? <laughs> that, that there's a spiritual thing happening for him, which we know is something that has to happen for all of us. There's a spiritual thing. He gives us the, you know, what did Paul say in, was it 1 Corinthians? He said that the, the minds of unbelievers are darkened. It's like there's a right. veil. They, right. can't, they can't even understand it because these things are spiritually, spiritually discerned. Per- perceived, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I read here, is I yeah. read that this is, there's a spiritual, for all of us, there's, I don't know if you've ever, for me, I've, ex- I've tried to share the gospel with people, and it was like, it went in one ear, out right. the other. Talking to a wall. Yeah. yeah. They weren't yeah. ready for it. They're whatever, I mean, I could, I remember when I, in my younger years, one time I shared the, I was at a food pantry, I shared the gospel, and I'm telling you, Ross, it was my best gospel presentation that I've ever shared, and this person just took their food and left, and I was so discouraged, the next people that came in, it, I butchered it, you know, I was, it was terrible, I, I mean, I still shared the gospel, but it wasn't very good, and these people wept and received Jesus. Yeah. That's a great point. I remember the first time the gospel was formally shared with me as a young adult, um, somebody went through a booklet, and so they, they got all the facts right, and it was right there in print, yep. and uh, it might as well have been written in Mandarin Chinese, <laughs> Right. my level of understanding. I just didn't, I wasn't capable. Which is a good thing to remember for Christians, but, but for any preachers listening, uh, something that I, when I, early on in my ministry, I used to feel this pressure that if I didn't just say it just right, if I didn't get it just right, then it was all on me to to uh, to present the gospel and to and to change someone's world. And what an arrogant thing to think! Mm-hmm. I think I've, I realize now that it's still my job to do my part and to do it as well as I can. But but really, I can't open someone's mind. That's a spiritual thing, yeah. and this is what hap- This is what I see is happening here in verse yeah, forty-five. Yeah, definitely, that's part of it. At least part of it, if not all of it. Yeah. So he opened their minds to understand the Scripture, and then verse 46, and then he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. So now we're starting to see a tip of the hand to what's going to come in Luke's next book, Mm -hmm. Acts, Mm -hmm. uh, that, that the gospel would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, which is what we see revealed in Acts beginning in Jerusalem, and here's the message, and I, and I want to finish with this, Ross. The message is that there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. So finally we get to now the what we would call the gospel message, because up until now it's just these the facts about Jesus and his messiahship, that he would have to suffer, that he would have to die, and that sure enough he rose from the dead. But this now is where the rubber meets the road, because this is the message that we as Christians bring to the world. Mm-hmm. And this, this defines what the messiahship meant, right? When it t- said you're going to redeem Israel, they were thinking politically, militarily, but, but this, he, he finally nails it in, in 
terms that everybody can get, that what that means for him as Messiah was that he's going to accomplish forgiveness of sins for everyone who turns to him. So here's the gospel in a nutshell, really, like you said. And I would, I would just point out, too, here before we move on, that this is... You, you can't separate... This is the thing that Jesus wanted his people to understand, core things he wanted them to understand. You can't separate that from... Part of that is the mission that he gave them. Mm-hmm. If this is true, this is who the Messiah is, part of his Messiahship as the king is he then sends his people forward with the message about him. You are witnesses of all these things. A witness was a Greek term to mean someone who's testifying in court. So that's different from a spectator. They weren't just spectators, mm. but they had an obligation to share what they had known, and he gave them this purpose. It's not just, um, it's not just oh yeah, now I understand who Jesus was, I can trust in him or whatever, but, but in implication of who he is is that he creates a movement to share that with the whole world. Yeah, and Luke, again, Luke's follow-up book to the book of Luke is the book of Acts. Many people don't realize that, in fact, theologians call it Luke-Acts, right? That it's, it's one book, essentially, Luke with Acts, same author, and, but in Acts, Luke reveals how the disciples were witnesses. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit, like Luke says right here in chapter 24, they went out and started preaching the gospel. These same disciples started preaching the gospel, and then this movement um, has led to what we're a part of today, right? That we're a part of the church because of what Jesus did here and because of the Great Commission that he would send his disciples to share this message that there's forgiveness of sins for all who would believe in Jesus, to share this message with the whole world. And so what, you know, what, we, did, what we started with last week with Palm Sunday is we, we talked about G- this journey from Jesus' earthly ministry to Jesus' crowning achievement. And that's really what Holy Week has been about. It's that final week uh, that's, that bridges the gap from his earthly ministry to his crowning achievement. And I want to just make it clear today, the crowning achievement of Jesus was to conquer sin and death. That's what he did on the cross. And then number two, to establish his rule in our hearts, right? By forgiving our sins. And then what he does is he establishes rule in our hearts. It's not just a cheap message that the grace of God allows us to go live however we want to now, but that really what he did is this forgiveness of sins that we have now makes us new people from the inside out. And now we look at the whole world differently and we act in it. We behave in it differently. If he's Messiah, that means he's the king. Kings are to be obeyed, and uh, and uh, that so that's not just uh, words that we live for him. He sends us on mission with him. We see that he has a high view of scripture, so that the Bible helps us understand everything that he wants from us. And um, above all else, what we see today too is that wow, he's alive. He's alive today. Mm-hmm. Now, next week, we're going to start a six-week series that we're just calling The Jesus Way, and we're going to go back now, starting next week, and we're going to see what Jesus actually taught about how we should live. Now, in in light of the resurrection and forgiveness of sins, we're going to go back to uh, Matthew chapter 5 and 6, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus reveals these six antitheses, where he says, you have heard that it was said one thing from the Old Testament. So we're going to kind of go back to the grid that they had a grid, they had a way of understanding the Old Testament. And now we're going to look at what he said in Matthew 5 and 6 in light of what he really meant. Because he said, you have heard that it was said this thing, but I tell you a new command. He gives them a new commandment. 
And so basically he's correcting their misunderstanding of how they read the scriptures and the law and how God wants us to live. And we're going to start in on that next week. If you want to take a look at any of the additional resources for this, you can check it out at pursuegod.org forward slash holy week. And we'll see you next week. 